This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Arts original program. In a time when it seems like right is wrong and wrong is right, when common sense is not so common and the truth seems nowhere to be found, when fear and hopelessness seem to be the mood of the day, one man stands above the rest, delivering hopeful commentary based in Catholic social teaching and unapologetic apologetics in the name of truth. This is Pat King, Unfiltered. Hi, I'm Pat King. I'm your host. Thanks for joining me. Today on this episode, I'm going to call it, well, my buddy Dave decided to call it, help me call it, Wounded Resilience. And I've talked about this subject matter briefly, and I think it really needs to be discussed in a very hard-hitting fashion. And I hope I don't swear on this one because this this is something that has bothered me and has hit with me hard, has stuck with me all these years, all these years. And, and I pondered this thought often. I mean, even before I returned to the Catholic Church almost 10 years ago, I... I knew there was something so mis misleading about divorce and about the resilience of children of divorce. And when I think of the term resilience, I really think of it as, as if uh, how they, their everyday life. You know, I, I played sports. I was a very active young boy and I'm certainly glad that growing up, they didn't have Ritalin and ADHD and all that other stuff um, that they uh, gave us, that they give to kids nowadays to uh, um, control their behaviors. Excuse me. Turning off my phone so it doesn't disturb me while I'm while I'm doing this. Um, the, uh, when I, I was one of seven kids, I'm the middle child, there's four boys, three girls. My mom really supported our efforts to play sports and be outside playing and running around. You know, her rule was, Hey mom, I'm going over so-and-so's house. Be back home by dinner. If you want to eat or they don't, don't be out till dark. I mean, come back in by dark. And and when we moved to Idaho, she she really really hated that ses that 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 lesson because uh, June, July, early August, it was light out till ten thirty at night. I mean the sun had set, but it's still open skies. You know it's we're called part of the big sky country here in Idaho, and and it's. The sun was out, the sky was lit, and we were out playing, and it wasn't, in our minds, it wasn't dark yet. I mean, the the streetlights may be on, but they weren't bright enough to shine the street yet. So we we stayed out until, really, you could almost see the stars. And, you know, that was hard on bedtime, but it was summertime. But we we didn't spend any time in the house playing video games and watching TV. I grew up, and I... Maybe I grew up in a better era. I don't know. Uh, every era, everybody thinks they grew up in a great or better era. 
but there was only three channels um, and it didn't have great reception. It was over the air, but to me, resilience was we're out there playing, kick the can or, or, you know, doorbell ditch or whatever we're doing. And someone trips and falls on the street and they scrape their knee and they get up crying and usually mom wasn't around because you're outside in the street, but you know, someone would pick you up and see if you're okay. And, you know, try to stop the bleeding or, or just say, Oh, you broke the ground. You broke the tree, you know, um, something to get you get that off your mind. And to me, that's resilience. That's, yeah, you get over it. Yeah, you scraped your knee. You you may even have a scar the rest of your life from that. Uh, I've got scars all over my body. I can tell you about one and playing uh, third base and sliding into home after I hit a ball and scored. So I'll tell you that in just a sec. But to me, that's resilience. That is that is what resilience. You get up, you brush yourself off, you 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 get back up, you get back in the game, and you know what? Before you know it, you don't even think about that pain of scraping your oh it may hurt the next year when you go take a bath or a shower it's going to hurt when you clean off the wound and stuff but you want to be out with your friends playing so a little bit of scrape knee you know elbow rub rug burn carpet grass burn whatever that wasn't going to stop you from being out there with your friends that to me is resilience that is bouncing back and getting up and playing all over again and doing this all over and not letting it stop you from doing what you want to do. Uh, like I said, and I don't know what age I was. I was probably third or fourth grade and playing little league baseball. Uh, it was, you know, overhand pitch and I've passed the T-ball era. So I probably fourth grade and playing summer ball. I played third base and I was always batted fourth or fifth. I was a good hitter. And I hit this ball and I and I made I got a double. Cause I remember this. Got a double. The next guy at the bat hit me around, hit a base hit, and I was scoring from second to, to home. And as I slid under the tag, the, the catcher's shin guards hit caught my knee, the my shin. His shin guards hit my shin and and peeled the skin off my shin. I still see that scar. Now I'm older, I'm fatter, you know, I, I'm a lot bigger than I was when I was, you know, in the fourth grade and it, it hurt. I mean, not only did it bruise, cause you know, your shins right on the surface. So it scraped the skin off my knee. It, I could see the skin in the catcher's shin guards and it's bleeding profusely. It hurts like, you know what? And it, it was probably about, six or seven inches of skin peeled off right now that wasn't the end of the game i scored i won so i got up and i cheered and then it hurt i i was happy i scored i don't know if we won the game I don't remember that part but then you know i'm bleeding my socks all bloody my uh, my my uh legs all bloody it's running down into my shoe they clean me up they they wipe it down they clean me up and and uh, I, I think we continued playing the game, and and I have a wound. But to me, it's like I'm a, I'm I'm proud of this wound. I, I'm you know, it's like I earned that. So to me, that's resilience. You know, a kid falls out of bed and lands on their backside or their butt or their head, even, 
and they get back, they cry, they ball. Mom picks them up. I, I don't know if you're like my mom uh, or dad. It's like you, you broke the ground. What's wrong? You got such a big head, such a hard head. You broke the ground. They did anything they could to distract you from that pain that you were going through, that suffering, because to them they knew you would recover. You you were resilient. Children were meant to bounce. You know, I don't bounce anymore. I'm 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 just more of a thud. But children are resilient in the in that physical way, and they're resilient when they lose. If they if they if they really worked hard at winning a game when they lose. Yeah, they may pout and you know kick their their shoe and their heel, their cleat into the dust and throw some dust up in the air, or throw their glove or their bat or their helmet and pout. But they get over that. That is that is how you learn life's lessons is is winning and losing. And and you learn that okay, you lost. What does that mean? means you got to try harder. You got to work harder in practice. You got to give it more effort. You don't just quit because you lost a game. That's not resilience. That's quitting. That's giving up. So my point that I'm getting at is, is that we as adults have messed up generations after generations of children because we go through divorce and, or, or we, we live in sin. We have a couple that, that, like each other, decide to hook up with each other. And then before you know it, the mother of two or three kids, the boyfriend's moving in with them. And and maybe he slaps the kids around. Maybe he yells at them. Maybe he doesn't even like them. Who knows? Maybe he does like them. But there's something wrong about that situation, about children out of wedlock or, or an adulterous affair. And they say, oh, kids are resilient. No, kids are not. And damn it, I'm tired of people using that as an excuse where as adults, the society, the media, oh, kids are resilient. They'll get over it. They'll recover. No, that's bull crap. That is bull. It affects them for their entire life. And it's hard for them to straighten out their lives until they find someone to help them do that. Until someone stands up to them and says, you can't do that. That's wrong. You cannot keep using that phrase, kids are resilient. No, you need to think about the damage you're causing to your children when you when you go and get married haphazardly and then go to divorce and you've got these children and then you you blame each other for this or that. You accuse the, the other of not taking care of them, not providing, not paying the bills, getting drunk all the time. That may be case, that may be the case. They are, and maybe that's a situation called for maybe he's abusive to you or you're abusive or a woman's abusive to the man there are reasons for divorce but it the amount of divorce that happens just like abortion abortion to the the people who 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 first started say oh let's make it legal but rare let's let's only only in the case of incest and rape and and domestic abuse should that be the case well, then why do we have to date over over 63, 70, 65 million abortions that have taken place since Roe versus Wade made it legal through the courts, which was not really a good law. It should never have been a law, should never have been a ruling. 
But 63, 65 million, whatever the numbers, that's just in America. Then you've got worldwide numbers. I think the worldwide numbers are over 130 million abortions. It's 130 million less people, depending on when they would have been born, that could triple that number. That's probably a half a billion people, 500 million people or more could be alive today, causing, saving the world from cancer or or hunger, drought, whatever. There could have been, who knows how many doctors and scientists and how many people could have done things, so many priests and popes we could have had or, or bishops and cardinals, lay people, ministry. Look at all those people's, all those lives lost. That could have been something, somebody great that could have been very influential to the world and benefit the world. Look at Mother Teresa. Look at what she did. Look at Pope John Paul II. Look what he did. Started He started World Youth Day. And look how 1.5 million people went to Portugal, Lisbon, Portugal, to celebrate Four days of World Youth Day, five days, whatever it was, five days of World Youth Day from all over the world. And it was so beautiful. And and mostly youth attend. Lots of priests, lots of lots of lay people, lots of uh, chaperones, lots of people showed up and re and 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 look at how that's going to change their life. And just think 500 million more worldwide or more. I'm just, that's probably a very low estimate. Children are not resilient when it comes to the neglect and the problems adults create for them in their lives. Children need to have a stable home, a stable environment where they can live and grow up to be the people. Hopefully you teach them to be, and hopefully they're, they're in the presence of God through church and led that way. And, and, but let me tell you, for my own personal life, I know that the, the, when my father and mother divorced, I was 11. I didn't even know what was going on. I never heard the word divorce. I'll briefly, I'll tell you. So my fifth year was coming to an end. We were out there. I was in California. It was uh, Jordan Elementary. I was in fifth grade, Mrs. Cunningham. We, it was good class, good group of people. I was looking forward to playing baseball with Johnny Sarno, my, my best friend. He just lived not far from me. We played on the same team. I was looking forward to playing baseball that summer. School was out and Little League was about ready to start practice here pretty soon. And I'm, we're going around and the kids are, Getting, I, I think he had a yearbook. I, I don't have it. I don't know what happened to it, but uh, I thought we had a yearbook with class pictures in it like you do in high school, junior high and high school. And we were getting people to sign off and say goodbyes and all that stuff. And the next thing I know is my mom, should, mom, we always walked home from school. We were roughly about three or four blocks, city blocks from where we lived. And we'd, we'd walk home and walk by a couple shopping centers, went to Cross Street, go across street, hit our street, go down and hit our, go home, right? I remember the address, 16119 Carruthers, Whittier, California. And so fully anticipating walking home with our buddies, last day of school, um, my mom shows up 
and she's got my younger brother and my youngest sister in tow as she's picking up me and my other sister just younger than me judy to go on a trip where she's got her bags packed she didn't pack my glove she got her bags packed and we're hopping in the car and we're not going home it was a total shock totally depressing totally upsetting to me i i thought maybe we we're going for a little bit but baseball's gonna start okay this wasn't we were not giving any consultation we were not giving we were not told this is what's happening hey tomorrow's your last day say goodbyes we're going off to idaho no it was grab the kids and we're off and, and we go from whittier california to twin falls idaho and let me tell you i was pissed now i'm 11 years old and I'm pissed. I'm upset. I'm unhappy. I'm angry. Do not know what's going on, but I'm not going to be playing baseball. Now I love my cousins. Got lots of them. It was, uh, I love my uncle. He's since passed, but we drive up. We stop along the way for eats and stuff like that. And Mom's heading home to heading to Twin Falls, where we know where Twin Falls is. We, she was born and raised in Rupert, so we knew where we, where we were going after she told us, but we didn't know why. I still didn't know why. We're driving. We still don't know why. Then we show up at my uncle's house where he's got four kids, five kids in the home, five kids in the home. Okay? My cousins. I know them. We know them. We visit them. We've run in. We come up to Idaho several times. So it's not like we went to a very unfamiliar place, but we we go to their home. We're staying with them. We take our bags out and mom stays for, I think she stayed for about a week, 10 days. And uh, I think while she, again, I knew nothing. Still don't, at this point, don't know what's going on. All I know is I'm not down playing baseball, practicing for baseball. I'm not signed up. I don't have my glove. I'm, you know, and I unpack my stuff. It's just my very basic summer stuff. No, no gloves, no cleats, no, no uniform, nothing. And we go in, we stay, we, they pack us into this house built for basically probably four, five people. And we go into a house for six with four more kids. And I think my mom spent time looking for a job. We were going to move to Twin Falls. She, looking for a job and have a place to come to so she could had a job right away. And she ended up getting a job at the Twin Falls Clinic, which was right next door to St. Ed's in Twin Falls. And I still don't know what we're doing. Here we are. We've been there three or four days. And so I'm, I'm distraught where I'm having issues. We're getting, we're, I'm getting into fights. We're fighting with everybody, the cousins. I'm, I'm angry. I, I hope you can understand I, I, I really don't want to belittle the part. It is a, I am deeply upset. I'm angry. And, and I want dad. I, I want to play baseball. I want to go back home with my friends. I didn't want to be with my cousins. And yet, so I'm causing problems. I'm, a, I'm, it's not a joyful time for me. Let's just say that. Uh, I look back on it. Yeah. I got through it. I was, somewhat resilient but the scars the damage is far deeper than just 
a surface result to me resilience you get up you eat you, you go to school you read your book you do your homework you go out and play sports you're you're resilient but that's resilient ish the the deep hurt is in there and it stays there and it festers and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until things get resolved and and in my case it didn't really ever get resolved and and in most children's cases because the the divorce is is angry and they fight and they're bitter and and it it's terrible it's tragic it's unnecessary to destroy I'd rather parents stay together in misery and work it out as adults to not destroy their kids. And then when their kids are gone, they can divorce more amicably. At least they don't destroy their kids in the process. I think that's still damaging, but at least both parents in the household working to benefit the kids and help them grow to be prosperous or, or highly or functional, just functional adults. And so it, it bothers me that I, uh, so I'm angry. I'm causing problems. I, I, I'm yelling at my aunt, and my uncle. And of course with my uncle Leo, he didn't, didn't yell at his wife. He didn't disrespect his wife and he didn't disrespect the girls. There was, uh, Leo had four daughters and one boy or, yeah, four daughters. So family of five, seven. Four daughters and one boy. And there were three girls, or two girls with me and my younger brother and myself. Now, I think my youngest brother went back with mom because he was like two or three. Maybe he stayed. I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember because so my uncle pulls me behind the, well, no. He didn't have a woodshed. He had a carport with a shed, storage shed in it. So pulls me into there, sit down on some chairs. He closes the door. I'm expecting to get a beating, but it, but I'm not his child, but he still had a man-to-man, heart-to-heart talk with me, which I am very grateful to this day that he did that. He was calm. He explained to me what was going on. This is the first I'd heard or knew of a divorce that we were moving up there permanently, not, not just summer, not just a two week, three week summer vacation that was going to go back to California. Once maybe she got a new house or something. No, that was, that was not in the cards. So he helped me at least accept the fact that I wasn't going to play ball that summer. He didn't have time to take care of his kids, Mike, his sister's kids and do his job. Be, he's in the guard, the, the Idaho National Guard. Couldn't do all that and make sure I got to to uh, baseball practice. So that summer of 73, I did not play ball. So I did not want to be with all those kids in the house. I still had issues. So I was Ken. I'm the oldest of the bottom four children and the middle child. And the brother Kenny and and Tom and Terry stayed back in California to help pack the house up to move all the furnishings and sell the house, get it all ready to sell and come up to Idaho. So they were older, much older. Uh, 
the next oldest brother to me is four years older than me. So I'm a 11 and he's 15, 14, 15. And then Tom and Terry. And so I, I decide. So my, I think my mom took me to Rupert. I, 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 I don't know why. Maybe we all went to Rupert to visit our, my grandparents, her mom and dad. And we were at the house and I was hanging around with my grandfather and just, just following him like a lost puppy. And, uh, uh, I said, mom, I want to stay here for the summer. And my grandmother said, well, you're welcome to stay here, but you're going to work. You don't get to just lay around and play around and cause problems and think you're going to get away with stuff. You're going to work if you want to eat. And she meant it. I think I've told that story before. So mom's there for a couple of days. I think she took the kids back to Leo and Dodie's house, and my cousin's house and twin, which is only about 43 minute drive from, from Rupert is 43, 44 miles from twin. And so wasn't that far of a trip. Uh, so I think she took him home there and I, I got my stuff and brought it and we stayed in the house. I stayed in a, I had my own bedroom and all her kids were grown. And I spent the summer working in the greenhouse. And it's funny how that summer taught me the love for growing things, for, for working in the garden, for working in landscaping. I, I did some pruning with my other uncles they take me out and I'd help prune and gather up the branches and stuff on, on jobs. They would uh, landscape prune, prune pine trees and fruit trees. So I got, and I'd go out and help them. And, and uh, it was enjoyable. So my uncles took a liking, a, a, you know, role of leading me and showing me some things. So I learned what I have done for the last 40 years of my life during that one summer at my grandparents' house. And so I'm, I'm there for the summer. I learned lessons about service and working hard. And I had very California long hair, shoulder length, maybe a little longer than shoulder length. And it's kind of curly. So you don't, I keep it short now, but I had naturally heavy body, real thick hair, real curly, wavy hair, not curly, curly, but wavy had, you know, when it got long, it had a lot of body to it, a lot of, waves in it and so i'm in my i'm in the shop at my grandmother's house i'm i'm running the retail counter for people to walk in i'd help them find what they were looking for and and help them buy it and collect the money and ran the register and and i even have a little bell that they would ring when they needed a you know little ding 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 and uh that little door chime as you open the door it would ding ding so i'm behind the counter I, I love telling this story because it's it's funny, but I'm behind the counter, and my mom and my grandmother have been bugging me all summer to get a haircut because I was in Idaho now. I wasn't in California, and I need to get a haircut because I look, you know, just need to be shaped, need, need to be cut. So, my this customer comes in is an old man. And to me, he was I mean I'm, I'm 11, maybe and I'm, my birthday's in December, so I'm 11 years old. I'm I'm behind the counter. The door to the entrance of the retail shop was about 35, 40 feet away. It's a glass door. Door pushes, swings in, ding, ding, ding. And 
this old man walks in fully, you know, dressed in long pants and kind of hunched over a little bit, kind of a good size older guy, but I mean, old to me, that's old. Now he's probably my age back then as I am now I'm 61. I'm not old, but I thought so back then. So I, I look up and I said, hi, sir, how can I help you today? Trying to be this, you know, helpful, little dutiful worker bee. And, uh, he goes, he stops and he looks at me and I, sir. Yeah, sir. Yeah. And so he looks at me and he, he sticks his finger out. He's got these big paws, big hands. And he looks at me and he goes, I know you. You're one of Angela's girls. And I was, <laughs> I, mom, I need a haircut. I run to the house. And I, my mom was in there visiting with my grandmother sitting at the kitchen table. As I remember this Thursday, Hey mom, this old man said, I look like a girl. I need a haircut. That did dawn on me that they probably put this old man up to it. Come to find out later. Oh, that's your uncle Tony. Oh, well, okay. Maybe, you know, calls it like he sees it. So my mom was happy to, take me to the barber and get a haircut. And I don't remember how, I'm sure I got it short enough where I didn't look like a girl, I looked more like a boy. And I know they had a huge laugh. Then to come to find out that was my uncle Tony. And they just, they loved it. They laughed, but I, I swear, I, I questioned my mom. You set that guy up to do that. You set him up. No, he came in on his own. We had, I, I didn't even know he was here, you know, and my grandmother's, they lied to me. I know they did. And I will find out the truth when I get there. <laughs> so I, I'm sure that both mom and grandma are in heaven right now are laughing. Every time I think about it, they're having a great laugh at my expense. They they, they pulled one over on me. But, man, a short little Italian lady and then a, and a mix of Italian-German, half and half. Ah, So, yes, I have some fond memories. But these are things, yes. I look at how God has created avenues and opportunities for my heart to be healed, for my soul to grow from, to give me experiences that that would manifest themselves down the road to my benefit. But when you're a child, you don't think God has a hand. He thinks God, you think God is destroying your life or that everybody's destroying your life and God's not doing anything to stop it. And this is where free will comes in, my friends. This is where the the pedal hits the metal, the road, the tires hit the road, the, the flames start engulfing is when we as human beings choose for our narcissistic selves, our own benefit. And we don't think about the, the scars, the challenges, the hurt, the, the image, the, the, delay of growth in their spiritual life, delay in the growth of their physical life, their emotional life, the security that they feel as children. Children are innocent. Children don't deserve to be used as bargaining chips for a divorce. I get to see them only once a month. What? You know, fighting over that. I'm telling you to stop it and grow up. Your first priority is to your children. You created them. 
then you need to do everything you can to make sure they become healthy, wholesome, grown adults and stop worrying about your own stupid needs. Trust me. I've been through that. I'm, I'm a divorced man myself now, and it was not by choosing. I did not want the divorce. When we lost our son, Lance, our marriage started declining ever after. And yes, it's understandable. It happens all the time. It need not happen. It need not happen because if you're if you're leading to divorce, if you're going down a path of divorce and neither one of you are on the same page with God, neither one of you are consulting God and praying together and trying to f figure out what's best for the children, you're selfish. I'm going to tell you that point blank. You're absolutely selfish. Now, I'm not going to put the blame on my ex-wife. I know that she hurt tremendously when our son died. And I wasn't a great father. And This is what I'm getting at. My damage, the damage that was done to me growing up with my parents' divorce. I loved my dad. I I wanted my dad to see me play sports because he he encouraged us to play sports. He was a big sports guy. He worked for a sporting goods company. So, I mean, he was around sports his, life, his entire life, golf and bowling and pool and, and baseball and football and basketball. He was a basketball coach. He was a football coach and high school football coach and basketball coach. He played semi-pro baseball. He was a very good golfer. He loved, I mean, every time you went to his house, there was some ball game on TV. He had, if he had cable, he had every sports package. And it, very rarely did he ever watch the news in comparison to how much he had sports on. And the woman he eventually married was a big sports woman, sports person, remarried. Uh, my mom, it wasn't that big of a deal, but she encouraged us to play sports. She liked the fact that we were active that way. But the wounds that were created, I wanted my dad to see me play ball, to be proud of me. And he was nowhere around. When we first moved to Idaho, he came up often enough to see my older brother's that they're, they, I think he came up for their homecoming game. If they played basketball, he would come up for that. If one game at least, and if they played baseball, he would come up and see them play ball. And he was there for their graduations. When it came my turn to reach high school, there's you know a couple, three, four year difference. My dad didn't come by. Uh, he would do that, especially for their senior year. But he didn't come up anymore. He didn't come and visit because I don't know. Uh, he would never give me that reason why. I never, I don't know if I ever flat out asked him, but I felt abandoned. I felt like I wasn't worthy of his love. I felt so many different things. And I know every child out there thinks that about the parent that's not in the home or blames the parent that they are with for divorcing the, the father or the mother. You know, it's one thing. I think children can be resilient when a parent dies. That's very traumatic. It's very hard. But if if it's handled right, they'll they'll understand that. Yes, it'll be hard, but they have no doubt about why they're not there. But in divorce, I remember one time sitting in my mom's bedroom crying. I didn't know how to shave. I didn't know how to shave. And I remember my mom saying, you know, I wanting my dad to 
show me these manly, take me out hunting and fishing, show me these things that I didn't get to do. I also say that my mom was a, was the worst father I had, but the best one I had. It's the only one I had. But she would say to me, she says, you know, you, you can't worry about the approval of your father. You can't worry about whether he's there or not, whether he's uh, uh, loves you or not. You, you can only do what you can do. And, and you have to grow up regardless. And he said, she said, but he's the one that's going to miss out at the end of all of all your lives. He's the one that's going to have the biggest regrets for not being there for you and being the father he should have been the husband he should have been to your children. And, and I did see that come to fruition, but that's not when, when you need your father there to tell you how to shave, even I had to have one of my older, my older brother, Kenny shot, showed me how to shave. Okay. You don't think, you don't think about that. How, how, how detrimental you know, I didn't have a dad to talk to him about girls, about dating, about sex, about asking them out how to treat one. I never had a father to confide in, like, uh, cars. You know, what decision do I do about going on to play baseball? Do I look for a local college? Do I, how do I apply myself? Dad, help me. He wasn't there. I was lost. I thought I had a good chance of, of, possibly one day going to play pros in, in baseball. But I didn't have any guidance. No one took an interest in me. I had coaches that liked me, but it's not like it is today where they have video. You can create your own videos and send them all over yourself. I lived in Idaho. It wasn't a big, you know, hey, let's, let's go to Idaho and find all the talent. It wasn't that. So I was lost. And I became self-absorbed. I became very selfish. I became very me oriented. I became very protective of my heart, my, my emotions. I, I, I had, I was good looking enough of a guy and friendly enough as a guy that I attracted a lot of girls, but I didn't stay around with a lot. Of, I didn't stick with anyone. I didn't have a girlfriend stick with her for, uh, for very long. If they got too close, I, I found a way to get out of it, to, to end it. And I, I, there were a couple girls that I really, really liked, and I, 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 I wished I'd never done what I did in hindsight. And I can't find them to ever apologize for my behavior. But I was immature. I was immature, emotionally immature, directory, uh, directionally immature. I had no knowledge of what being a man was. I grew up without an example of a man in my life. Now, my uncle was the closest thing I had to a father at that time. My grandfather, uh, Bill Henshide and Rupert, my, my uncle Leo, they were the closest things I had to men in my life. But I had no, no man that I could go to and confide and share my journey with. I wouldn't you know, share it with my brothers. They, they picked on me from the time I was a little kid. And they picked on me until they left for college. I was so much younger than them. So I know from personal experience the wounds that were created. And so I had 
no problem having sexual relations with with girls. They thought that was an expression of manhood. Now, it wasn't like forced or anything like that. I, I was always a gentleman in that aspect, but but it it was there was no there was no connection to life. There was no connection to a love. There was no connection. It, intimate relations, sex was not a, 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 it was a feeling of love, but it, it was just a physical aspect of it, not the deeply emotional, I'm in love with this person at all costs and everything. You know, I got to do whatever I can to have. It was a possessive love. It was a satisfy my needs love. And even as I got older, yeah, my my faith meant a lot to me, but that even that was very surface minded, surface oriented. And why am I talking about my life? I'm telling you, I'm not the only one that's gone through this. As I've heard other people's stories, as I've seen other kids that are wounded from parents' divorce and grow up, and you wonder why we have people that take drugs and and are alcoholics or go around and have sexual intercourse with many, many multiple partners and can't stay committed to a marriage or they do get married and they only think of themselves like, oh, I've got a partner. She's good. She does my laundry. She clean, cooks for us. She cleans the house and I provide for her and I want all these toys for myself. I'm going to go golf on the weekends. I'm going to hang out with my buddies in the bar and they just got a piece on the side. hate to be so crass, but that's, that's kind of how it, it is anymore. And we're destroying our youth. You wonder why kids have a hard time with they're confused about their gender. I think it all stems from the fact that the intact families are gone. They're being wiped out and destroyed on, on purpose. In a lot of cases, Oh, think about yourself. You got to make sure you self care. You got to take care of yourself. No, when you get married and have kids, you, you you're the last person on the list, in my opinion. And I didn't do that. It was, yeah, I, I, Paid the bills. I provided for my family. I put a house over their head and a, and, a, and a roof over their head. And I put food on the table and gave them a good education. But I was a good provider. But I wasn't a great father, great husband, as it is now. My kids don't even talk to me now. Now, again, we lost a son. And I grieved harsh. It was hard on me. My wife, my ex-wife grieved hard. The children grieved hard and we weren't there for each other. We didn't, we didn't come together and get stronger. We became more divided, more territorial to our own special needs. We became more narcissistic to our own needs. All of us did. We all did. And, but, but I did not learn anything about being a husband and a father from my dad. He wasn't there to show me anything. He wasn't in my life. And I struggled with that need for acceptance, that need for approval. I just wanted to hear my dad say, I'm proud of you and I love you. It never happened. I remember on a I'm so separated. Children are grown. I'm separated. I went down to 
uh, my dad lived in Grass Valley, Northern California at the time with his wife. I don't know. She was uh, suffering from dementia and was in a home. And I had gone to, um, I'd gone down to Nevada to watch a football game, uh, Boise State playing Nevada. And then on my way, I, I wanted to go visit my dad. And so I went to Grass Valley and I spent three or four days there. And then I was going to head home back to Idaho. And my, I told my dad, I, you know, I'm, I'm heading your way. He knew about this all planned. And uh, I told him, I'm leaving Nevada. I'm heading your way. But I wanted to take some sightseeing. I said, so I'll be there, you know, between this hour and it was two or three hours later. I'll be here. I'll be there around there. Well, either he only heard what he, the first hour or what, but I went through some mountainous areas. I wanted to take a little tourist here or a side route to, to see the sites, to see the mountains. And the cell service wasn't very good. And uh, uh, I, in fact, I had no cell service. So I couldn't call him and say, Hey, I'm, I'm I took a little side roads. I wanted to see some sites and the pretty, it was beautiful. Northern California, that, that, that grass Valley, Penn Valley areas and getting there. It's very beautiful. Just uh, North of Sacramento, uh, out of Reno. And so I didn't want to take the main road because I didn't want to get there. I would take my time. I was enjoying the trip. Stopped and got some ice cream and and another snack to eat, you know, maybe a lunch. I don't remember exactly. But so when I got there, you know, as I get closer in the cell search, I get these phone te- phone messages and texts from my brother and from my dad. Where are you? You lost everything. All right. You know, he was really worried and panicking, and so was my so my brother Ken calls and said, what, what I said, oh, I just I told Dad it was only between his hour and that hour, and I said I'd be there, and uh, and he goes, well, he's just hadn't heard from me, and I said, well, I took some side roads, and I said you don't have cell coverage, and so I'm here now, I'm getting there, so I pull up, and Dad, I'm before as I pull up, Dad's walking out the front, and he was a little ticked, said you had me worried, and. Why didn't you call? And I said, I tried it. It it had no cell coverage. But instead of being the father of the prodigal son, I hadn't seen him in, at this point, four or five years. And and so being the father of a prodigal son, he didn't welcome me with open arms and, oh, man, I so missed you. I was so worried about you. No, he shook my hand and was mad that I was, that I made him wait, that I was late, made him wait. And and the funny thing is, just a couple years before that, he and Marge, his his our stepmom, his wife, met us at one home, my uh, sister's home in Utah, uh, Provo. We went up to Park City and took some pictures, family pictures. First time we, all of us, had been with our all the siblings and dad had been in the same room at the same time since we were kids. Since before the divorce, first time. So it was his 80th birthday, and we were celebrating his 80th birthday. And as he's kind of in, getting ready to light the candles and have his birthday and eat, cut the cake and all that, he he's tearing up as he's talking to us about how he didn't know if he'd ever see this day where all of his kids were in the same room together with him. And how much he longed for it. And he he realized, he told us what a 
tremendous regret he had for not being closer, not being there for us, not, not having this relationship with us. Because he didn't have much of one with any of us. My brother Kenny had the, probably the closest of all of them. That's why he became the executor of his estate. But out of all of us, he, uh, he, that was it. He was, he, you could tell here, he starts getting choked up. He start realizing his regrets of not being there and spending that, having that time with us. Now you're 80 years old. It's almost too late. And he was so, so entrenched in his own emotions, his own attitude. Now, uh, maybe I'll talk about one of you know what happened to him that caused him to be this this really self-centered, negative, sarcastic, hurtful, not really close to relationship people. Man, he became something tragic happened in his life. And like I said, maybe I'll make another episode out of that. How wounds, but he was wounded in his, I think in his teens by a tragic loss of his brother. He was wounded greatly and that affected his entire life, which then affected the life of all his children. Every one of my brothers and sisters have wounds from that divorce. Now, the one who has the least wounds is the youngest. He just had no ass, dad. To him, it was just a buddy-buddy friend. When they got together, it was just buddy-buddy. They golfed, they, they'd go to dinner, stuff like that. That was it. But it wasn't, uh, you know, like, you're my dad. In fact, it affected his life. If you ever saw this video, he might disagree or be upset with me. But brother, I love you. But he didn't even get married until he was in his um, late 40s. Has no children of his own. And he's, I don't know his life because I don't see him very often. He lives in Colorado. I love him, miss him, would like to know more about him. Tried to help him out when I was younger, as a, when he was younger and I was an older brother. I, he lived with me in, in, in Palm Springs a couple of different times and helped him out, get a car, got him into rugby, stuff like that. I tried to help him, tried to mentor him, but, but he was so broken from and he was a popular kid and well liked i mean girls flocked on this kid he was a handsome young man and he just wandered drinking was a big thing it still is he he, he of all the kids he's the one that most looks like dad has very similar mannerisms and yet he spent the least amount of time with dad growing up but i see the wounds that were caused by my parents' divorce, by the lack of my father's involvement, engagement in all of our lives. And the older three have their wounds because they had more time with dad and then saw the, the anger and the fights and all that stuff. So they lived through that. Whereas the younger four didn't see all that, but didn't have a father to go to and be a part of our lives. Two different situations two different groups of family members, all in the same family, suffering different wounds. And and yet today the media, TV shows, movies, talk about divorce. Oh, the kids are resilient. They'll get over it. No, you destroy them. Yeah, they may eventually 
try to make things better, but I can't tell you how many lives I may have destroyed in my own. My children won't talk to me. Now, was I bitter and angry at eh, my fought with my wife? But I grew up, thought that was normal. I saw my, even my grandparents fought, not much, not a lot, not harshly. But I know my mom, I saw my mom and dad fight. I went outside and played. I, I didn't want to be around it, but it was very destructful, destruct, destructive. And, and the ramifications of what their marriage did to us children, they're going through their divorce and, and the anger, the bitterness between mom and dad, the dad didn't pay enough child support. So mom struggled all her life. Okay. Dad paid the least amount he could. There's a lot of things. So I could go on for hours on this of how the things that happened with my parents, how it affected my life and my children's life and my my married life. I never wanted to go through a divorce and yet I ended up divorced. I didn't want to be someone that was emotionally drained or strained or, or vacant. I didn't want to have what my dad had, my mom had. And yet now, fortunately my kids were grown by the time my wife left me. And, and, and I, um, uh, it was my coming back to the Catholic faith that really saved my soul. It was the time that what really, what really got me on the right path and saved my soul was my son's life in my life. The duty and obligation responsibility I had to raising a handicapped special needs, medically fragile child became the, the one thing as, as I realized it was a gift and a blessing and not a burden that changed my life. That, that was the start of my conversion back to a better person, a better man. But the damage had already been done in my own family, my own wife's relationship with myself. With the loss of our son, I was a I was an automaton for two years. I was just going through the motion. I went to work every day. In fact, I worked six and seven days a week on purpose. I worked long days. I did the least amount of husbanding, husbanding or husbandry I could. And I was short. I was angry. I was lost. And I never didn't realize how I didn't realize how what I was doing was a ramification or result of, of the lack of fatherhood in my life. It wasn't until I actually started writing a book and started Return to the Catholic faith. And I started reading about what marriages are supposed to be, how they're sacramental, and what they're supposed to be as far as to each other, help the other partner, the other spouse get to heaven. You 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 care for them over your needs, and she over your needs, over her needs, vice versa. And yet I blew it. I didn't learn that lesson until it was way too late. I didn't learn about virtues. I didn't learn about temperance and prudence and and justice and the cardinal virtues. I didn't learn about that until it was too late. 
Yeah, I may have gotten some of it. I saw some of it. But the wounds from my parents' divorce hit me so hard that I didn't know it. I didn't understand it. I didn't didn't blame it. I just was who I was, which meant I was a total ass and a total jerk. Sorry if I say, said that. I said I was going to try and not, not curse, but it's on me. It's also on my father. It's on my mom and dad. They didn't grow up that way. They had intact families, but the culture says, oh, yeah, if you don't like each other, get divorced. Kids are resilient. They get over it. No. And I'm tired of this saying that. So stop saying it. Wounded resilience. Yeah. Okay. So kids have no choice but to leave. Live, right? They eat. They they go to school. They drink. They sleep. They play sports. Mom and dad's not there in their life, one of the two. Yeah, okay. They're, they, they're resilient because they're still alive. Is that resilience? Is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about the, the health of that child? If you really care about your own children, then by golly, don't get divorced. If you've got to get divorced, wait till they're grown-up adults, gone through college and on their own, and, can, and you can explain to them why. We stayed together because we loved you. We wanted you to be better people and be the example regardless of what you and your wife are going through. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, you might find a way to reconcile and work out your differences. But you got to go to church. you got to... You got to seek counseling. You got to go see a priest. Do whatever you take. If you really care about the children you helped create, then it's important that you do whatever it takes to try and resolve your differences to make sure those children don't do what you do, what you did. And I did exactly what my dad did, even though I didn't want to, because the force, the 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 hurt wounded the damage was so deep so deep the wound was so deep that you didn't even know it was there you didn't understand why you were angry or act out that's why my son i i truly believe god gave me my son to help correct my path but then i was just too stupid to realize all that blessing of that life of my son so I do not believe in divorce and resilient children. I believe that you get divorced, you destroy your kids. I don't care. They, they may be happy and joyful on, this, on the surface, but you look at their lives, how they handle relationships, how they handle trust in other people. And that's going to be another podcast, how we've purposely lied to children to where they don't trust anything anyone says. So... That's why they don't, that's why they leave the church until you know how to show them you love them and you're going to be there for them. But as God is my witness, I know that the wounds from a divorce, because that's why Jesus said it is not meant to, not, not per, permitted. It, it's you are married for life. And I hope anyone that's listening to this, you're struggling in your marriage. And if you're the problem, it doesn't matter if you're the problem or not, you fix it. You be the better person and work on fixing your marriage because your children mean the world. 
And when you're gone, they're here. They're going to be left. And if, if their world comes crumbling down, it's because you helped them become that person that allowed it to happen. We cannot, we cannot continue to, to let marriages destroy a broken marriage destroy families and the future. I tell you, I think God is not, not pleased with Americans, uh, those that get divorced. The culture of marriage for fun and the easy divorce, nah, it's not a good thing. So, this is called wounded resilience because they live. They eat, they breathe, they drink, they sleep, they get up and do it again. That's not resilience. That's surviving. They are so deeply wounded, and we've done it to them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Pat King's Unfiltered. The opinions expressed by Pat King are his own and do not necessarily represent the Spirit of Truth Radio Arts contact Pat King with show ideas and show topics, go to www.castingthe.net. Thank you.